as the pastor asked me if I would um, bring some word to you tonight, um, it's always a challenge to me um, to know just exactly what the Lord has in mind, but usually it has something to do with where I've been and what I've been about recently. And um, it's been about three years now that I've... Uh, used to be when I read the Word, I'd pick out certain things that usually what I like to read, you know, and read them a number of times during the year. And I was challenged about three years ago to read the whole Word and, and to read it chronologically through, through. And so for the third year, I think now, maybe the fourth, I've been into that. And um, if, if any of you are doing that, you know, other than Job, basically you're starting at the beginning and, and working your way through. And I'm into Deuteronomy at this point. How many really enjoy Deuteronomy? Hmm. Okay. Well, have you ever done some things out of duty? You just know you need to read it, Tim, and so you do it, right? I got that done. Now I can go feed the sheep and do the things I need to do. And I was in about the second day of that. <laughs> and I said, Lord, there's got to be more in this book than what I'm reading. Because I'm not getting any place, you know. Basically, to me, you know, I'd read everything that I'd, I'd read so far. I'd already read that. And so I'm asking the Lord, what, what, what is there here that, that you want me to particularly look at? I don't know if you ever thought about the word Deuteronomy and where it comes from, but it comes from a word that you find uh, early on there, in, in actually in that very first... Uh, you, you might turn to Deuteronomy. We're going to spend some time there. We're going to be some other places too. But in that very first verse... It says that these are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel. And he had spoken these words, most of them before. And, you know, as I started looking at that particular word, it's a, a you know, Hebrew and Greek, I, didn't, I know not, but it's D-A-V-A-R is what it is, and it means a word or a speech. So, you know, all of us have words, right, and speeches and things like that. And then it referred me to the New Testament. And there's a word when you get into... 1 John 1, maybe you just keep your thumb there and let's go to 1 John 1, or not 1 John, excuse me, John 1, 1. Let's go to St. John 1, 1. And I'm sure many of you could quote this to me, actually, but um, as I started looking at the reference that, that I was given there, it says, in the beginning was the, what? The Word. Now, that's not the same word because this was Greek and the other was Hebrew, right? But it has basically the same meaning and it. You know, it's, it's a, a word that talks about revelation. And it was about that time I started calling the Lord, I need revelation. You know, if we're going to study Deuteronomy, and I'm going to end up better off after I'm done with this than I was when I started it, we, we, we need some revelation. And I was, uh, I was looking at a commentary, and, and it reminded me that Jesus is the D-A-V-A-R, that word, that was given back here by Moses in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, he's what? The Logos in the New Testament. And so as I started thinking about that, basically, Deuteronomy, Bruce, is about Jesus. Now, I never read about him in there, you know. I was reading about Moses and these guys who kept messing up, which I could, you know, could understand. And, but but it really, as you look at the heart of God and look at Revelation... Jesus is the message in every book from the beginning to the end. So it's along those lines tonight I want us to take a, a look at some of the things that, that I feel God has shared with me out of Deuteronomy. And then uh, we'll 
uh, see what God might give you and what revelation you might have. So let's look at Deuteronomy together. And, and I realize you can read, but I'm trusting as we read together that we'll get some idea of, of what the Spirit of God is wanting us to learn from this. It says, These are the words which Moses spoke to all Israel on this side of the Jordan in the wilderness. Now, I'd like to kind of put things in perspective of where we are. And Moses has been leading these disobedient people for about 40 years, right? And have you ever tried to lead a disobedient person for two hours? Okay. And it's been 40 years. And I'm thinking of a family and thinking of things that, you know, that that we deal with, <laughs> I don't know how many there are at this point, but there's been as many as two million. And now I know that there's more. And if you will, this is kind of granddad, and he's standing there with, his, with the people that God has given him on one side of Jordan, knowing that through Abraham, through Isaac, and through Jacob, on the other side of the Jordan is the land that God's given them. And he's been promising that land to them for generations. And they're, they're about to embark on that. And if you will, where's Moses going to be when this happens? He's going to be in heaven, isn't he? He's going to go up a mountain. He's going to die. You know, he disobeyed God. And God said there's going to be new leadership. You don't get to go in. Now, he went up on the mountain and looked at it. So he's about 120 years old. Heaven forbid that we... Uh, you know, I, I, I know people that are less than that, that uh, wouldn't have the wisdom that, that God has given this man. But 120 years old, and basically speaking to a, a, a number of people that he's been living with and directing for about 40 years in the wilderness, people who did not see, in, in many cases, the miracles that God did when they came out of Egypt. They're already dead. Many who did not see the water come out of Flint Rock, all of those miracles that God did for them beginning, many of these were not available, were not there at that point. And so that being the case, if you will, put yourself in his place. God's told you you've got a few days, a few hours left, whatever it might be, and you want to give your last words to your family. What are they going to be? Well, these are the ones that, that God has given uh, God has given Moses. So let's let's take a look at it. We've got a whole new generation. They haven't faced a lot of foes in the last 38 years, other than themselves. Can you relate to that? They haven't had a lot of victories, except overcoming their own selves. Really, they haven't had, uh, if you will, a lot of temptations because they've been pretty much in house. It's been their church group together. We're not going outside of that group. So, you know, the, the temptations, if you will, are not too strong in, that, in some cases like that. But there's also new leadership coming because Moses is going up on the mountain and be taken to God. And who's taken over? Speak it out. Joshua's taken over, right? So here he is. And I, and I guess if I could um, uh, summarize what, what I have seen in this, basically there are two words that God gave him took him about 30 chapters to say them. But there's basically two words that he gave these young kids that he's speaking about before they, they go over. First of all, he reminded them of the last years that they've been together. 
and how God was faithful every day to provide all they needed, all the meals, all the clothes, everything they needed, God was faithful. And it reminds them of that. Now, have you ever had everything pretty well taken care of and not been grateful for it? But he's also challenging them to do something else. He's challenging them to be faithful and, if you will, to be obedient to the words. Now, as I said, these promises have been coming down through the years. You can go clear back to Genesis 12:1, and that's where he talks to Abraham. And he told Abraham, a man married to a barren wife, that he was going to be the father of what? A nation. It was going to, they were going to have so many kids that they were going to be more in the stars in the sky, more in the sand and the sea. That was going to be his family. Isaac got basically the same. Jacob got basically the same. And here's Moses saying, you guys have been waiting for this. We've read it. We've, we've talked about it in church over and over and over again. And guess what? The time has come. We're about to go in to that land, and we're about to take care of it. And I think it's always interesting, as you talk about the promised land, he said it had what in it? Milk and honey. <laughs> you ever been privileged to milk a cow? Some of you probably can relate to that. Some of you milk the gallon jug, right, in the, your fridge. You know what I think of, Beth, when I think of milking? <laughs> I think of a lot of stinking work. <laughs> I spent lots of, lots of days of my life being under a dairy cow getting milk for you guys, okay? And I think of a lot of work. And the other thing was what? Honey. <laughs> Anybody in here ever done anything with honey yeah some of you eat it but if you ever had a chance to collect it is it fun you just kind of go out and get it off the shelf right after you get by the 48 million bees that are in there and after you take it away from something that they've worked real hard to put together and you take it and take it and extract it and i've been through that too what do you think of when you think of the promised land you don't think of all that work, right? We think it's going to be gravy. I'm not sure why we use the word gravy. I mean, no, that's all right. You don't need to like gravy. Um, well, as I thought about, about those things and what he had promised them, these people really had lived a pretty sheltered life there in the wilderness. They had heard their families talk about the things that happened. They had watched their families die off and bury them out there in the sand. And they hadn't seen a lot of miracles, and that being the case, Moses brings them together, and he starts reminding them of the promises and that these promises are true. And he said, furthermore, not only are they true, the time has come. And I kind of feel like in America we're about like that now. You know, we've, if you're like me, you've heard ever since you've been in church that, you know, days are getting short. They're getting short. And we've lived all this time. They're getting short. We're getting there. We're about ready to go into battle. And, and Moses, seeing what was on the other side, I think had a sense of what they were facing. Because when we go into the promised land, milk and honey and our pastor and his great demonstration of uh, lemonade and the, you know, and the hammock type thing, that may be where you are. But when you go into that promised land on the other side, what's there? Who owns the bees? <laughs> Who owns the cows? Not me, okay? They're mine, in a sense, but somebody else owns them. And we're in a fight. 
And I heard, as we were talking marriages this morning, we were talking about being in a fight, and I couldn't help but think of this big old guy. Now, I, I'm trusting none of you knew who I'm talking about because I don't want to talk about anybody. But he'd been through a number of relationship tragedies. Let me put it that way. And he was looking for milk and honey. And what was he finding? <laughs> he was finding trouble. And the reason he was finding trouble was because of his lack of understanding that he was needing to work at it. And I remember after a number of sessions, I could tell he was frustrated. He didn't want to say anything in front of her. And they're getting ready to go out the door, and he just stopped, and he turned around, and he says, does everybody have to work at it this hard? And I said, no, most of us work harder. Um, he's not here tonight. He didn't like that. But Moses, being that man of God and, be, and seeing what was ahead of him, seeing all the possibilities that were there, and looking back at where they'd been, he saw in them some things that I think was, that are critical to you and I. And there are a, lot of, a lot of these things, a lot of the characteristics that we see in Moses and his urgency and those kind of things, we see in our man of God, Pastor Joe here. But 35 times, and you go through there and count them, he told him to do what? Go in and possess it. Now, <laughs> if Bruce goes hunting on my farm and he goes in, he don't possess that deer unless he does what? Unless he makes some effort, okay? And he told him to go in and possess it. And right away, you know what? You're in a fight, right? And you know that you better, you better be thinking that this is going to be something. And, and, and the land belongs to who? It belongs to me. It belongs to you. It belongs to God's people. But it's possessed by the enemy. A little bit like what we face in life, isn't it? The enemy possesses. Who gave it to him? <laughs> we did. We do. You know, he, he, he got it there at creation. He got it from our daddy. <laughs> and 35 times it says, go in and possess the land. 34 times he reminds them that this is the land that God's given you. I wonder why it took 34 times for him to remind them. Because I'm, I'm sure if they're anything like I am, as you're moving in to possess the land, after a while you say, Bruce, I don't know if I'm supposed to do this or not. And the enemy will make sure you doubt whether you're supposed to be doing that. Where's Moses at this time? He's up. He's going to be in heaven by the time they move across the Jordan River. And he's, he's telling them 35 and 34 times, guys, you've got to go in and do it. I want, I want to make a couple points here. God has been, Moses reminds them also that God's been faithful throughout history. And furthermore, he's been faithful, but he also remains faithful. He's going to be faithful to you. No matter what you're facing, no matter where you are, the second thing, he reminds them that they're in a covenant relationship with the Lord. A covenant relationship with the Lord. Now, that's a big statement. We don't have time to open up as far as I'd like to tonight. But I would just want to say to you, you know, as, as we were talking, as, as people were sharing this morning about relationship, about marriage, we're in a covenant. We make, in marriage, we make a covenant. And, and in, in that covenant, then, there are things that, that, that we need to work at. We need to fight to keep that relationship alive. And we're going to look at those. And then... 
He reminds them, and we'll look at this in a minute, of their greatest temptation, the same one you and I face. We go in, we get the victory that we're wanting over this particular thing. <coughs> Life gets pretty good. The job's good. Retirement's good. And what do we do? <laughs> we just slide away. Hey, you know, this is great. Fight's over, right? No. It's just beginning. It's there every day. And so he reminded them, you're going to get in there, and when that happens, be careful. Because the worst could be just ahead of you. So he's telling them, in that covenant relationship, their job is to obey God's commandments. Our job is to obey. Our job is to be obedient. Now, if we're obedient, um, I, could, I could go look this scripture up, but let me just give it to you. If we're obedient, we're going to have four things, he reminds them. We're going to have life. We're going to have blessing. We're going to have health. We're going to have prosperity. Which one of those you want? We want them all, right? If you're obedient. If you're disobedient, what do we get? Instead of life, we get what? Death. Instead of blessing, we get cursing. Man, this is great, right? Tough decision, right? Instead of health, what do we get? Disease. Instead of prosperity, what do we get? Poverty. We get Who's making the choice? I am. You're, you are. We're the ones that are making the choice. And, and so I can't talk about your nature, but my nature... When I see that and I read that word and I read the things that in, in the covenant here that he gives us to do, <coughs> once I know what the law is, my nature, if I'm not careful, is to get as close to that law as I can. And let me use an example that a couple of you might relate to. If the speed limit coming to the church is 45 miles an hour, okay, how fast do we go? At least. 45, probably 47, 49, whatever. You know, we'll just, did we follow that law? No, but if, well, we get picked up. And we kind of know what we can get by with, right? I have a friend, a dear friend, and I read his name in the paper. And he was picked up for a stop sign violation. And I said, uh, it's been a while since I've had that problem, so I'd say, uh, Joe, what's going on here? He said, I made a rolling stop. What is that, Bruce? A rolling stop. Now, that's something that we conjure up for God's sake, right? I mean, we want, we want God to know. My heart was in it. I just knew that I need to be someplace. Okay? It's all right, God, if I do that, you know. And so, as I read these things, that's kind of where I am. That's what I, what I see myself doing. And... I think as we think of the covenant, as we think of what God's given us, um, it shows God's children, the covenant show, and, and, and the law that he gives us, shows us how we're to live in fellowship, first of all, with him, and second of all, with each other. I'd like to go back to Ephesians, and we're going to come back here to Deuteronomy. If you have a rough time finding it, you might want to keep your fingers stuck in there. Um, Ephesians, I'm always intrigued by Ephesians. There's just... You know, every verse will preach almost. And, it, and as far as I can tell, it was a, one, one of, if you will, one of the most mature churches that Paul had established. And it, as you look at that, it's just line after line after line of living God's way. 
And I'm, I want to go to chapter 5. If you haven't read the other recently, do it before you go to bed tonight because it's just full of it, what we ought to be doing. But in verse 1 of chapter 5, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. Now, I, I can't speak for you, but have you, men, have you ever had that young, <laughs> dear child of yours, and you're walking out in the snow or in the mud, and he's doing his best to walk in your tracks? been there or women i'm sure you know you you've experienced some of the same thing with the little gals and they're imitators of us as and he said we're to be imitators of god as they imitate us and and we could walk all down through verse two says walk in love okay and as you as you look at verse after verse in that chapter five Verse 15 is one of my favorites because I think it's the one that drives Pastor Joe. He says, see that you walk circumspectfully or exactly or, if you will, accurately. That's not a rolling stop, okay? He's not talking about a rolling stop. Not as fools, but as wise. Go over to verse 20. We've got to give thanks always for all things. Oh, all things, Tim. To who? To God our Father, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21, submitting to one another. Do you, you feel submitted to the people that's sitting near you here tonight? Don't answer. But the Word says what? We are to submit to one another. And then I always like the next verse. <laughs> he changes from how we're to live in the church. To how we're to live where? In the family, at home. Someone said the reason our church is in such a mess is because our family's in such a mess. And I would say the opposite also is true. We had a lot of churches in a mess. We're not living right with our brothers and sisters. And so our kids think it's okay to live the way we're living. But the next one says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And usually when we have a new couple, we're counseling he loves that for some dumb reason. <laughs> I don't think he saw the same thing in there I did, okay? Do you, do you see that? Wives, submit to your own husband. How? As if you're doing it to the Lord. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's that buggy whip. I'm not sure what he's got in his mind at that point. But then verse 23 says, For the husband is head of the wife. Now, most of them like that, too. But when you look at that head, we're really talking about what? responsibility and we heard a lot of that this morning and it's not talking about a big club and i think that caveman you know he's got that club with all those (laughs) thorns out on it you know no that's not what it's talking about and then he says he's head of the wife and he's the head in the same way that christ is head of the church and what did christ do gave his life now, guys, that's us, okay? That's where we're to be. And you can read all the rest of that down through there, but I always like to go to verse 33. Now, what I'm looking at now is not so much just marriage, but covenant, okay? Where two people are willing to say, I do. Like you and I individually said to the Lord, what, if we're Christians? I do. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. So there we are. And he says in verse 33, 
This is a great mystery, or verse 32, excuse me. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. So he's saying, all of that stuff I was just giving you about the family and about the church, I'm really talking about Christ and his church also, okay? It, it, it works in the natural, but it, it also works in the spiritual. It's talking about the covenant. And this is wise Paul talking, and he said, Nevertheless, nevertheless, even though it's a mystery, let each one of you, and what he really says to me is, if all that other stuff too hard for you to understand, then try to get this, Daryl. Let each one of you in particular so love his own wife. How? As himself. <laughs> because of some relationships, I went to a basketball game, you know, to look good today to a young man. And when I got there, I saw all of these men and I thought, oh, how poorly we live out that scripture right there. Because nearly everybody there had been taught by their coach to do what? You're it. Go for it. You know, and they're out there just a, all these young men. We've had them in school for 12 years. And we're going to send them out into the world. And they're about as prepared for what they're going to face tomorrow as what? Nothing. It's, it's it's going to be sad because everything today was about who? About me and how many threes can I hit and how can I do this? You know, these are the all-stars, okay? Aren't you glad we're not like that? <clears throat> and then he says, let the wife... Now, well, let me just say another thing about that. Why do you suppose that he spoke to me about loving my wife? Of all the things that are above there, why did he pick out that? That's probably what I'm going to have the most trouble with, particularly doing it so she'll know I love her. You guys ever worked real hard at loving your wife when you get done? She's like, what was that about? You ever been there? Come on, Phil. Scoot over a little bit, Phil, so she can't reach you. Then let me. But, ladies, it doesn't stop there. It says, and let the wife see that she what? Respects her husband. Now, why would he say that to the wife? Because that's where you're going to have the biggest problem. And that's what we need. And that verse just kind of wraps it all together. Now, let's take that. And from that, let's place that back here in Deuteronomy. And let's go back there. If you kept it, great. If you didn't, well, I cheated. I put a paper in there. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Because back there we're talking about another covenant. Okay? We're talking about something that's, in Moses' mind, is going to really, really be important. I'd like to go clear to the end of Deuteronomy 3019. Because to me, it shows us the heart of Moses. Now, you almost had to read this whole thing to really appreciate exactly where we are. But he told him, he said, I want you guys to follow through. I want you to follow all of these statutes. And they all said, oh, we're going to, Tim. We're, yeah, we're going, we're going, we'll do that. We'll, and, you know, until we leave here, we'll, we'll do it. There's no problem. We'll, we'll carry it all out. But then, back here two or three chapters ago, Moses said, there's going to come a time where you're going to walk away from the whole thing. And he's talking to those young bucks there who are ready to go across and wipe out, take over, so they can have all that milk and honey on the other side. And, and he says, when you go across there, you're going to, your heart is going to turn away. Verse 17, if you will. If your heart turns away so that you do not hear and you're drawn away and you worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish you shall not 
prolong your days in the land that you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Isn't that what we do? We go, we're victorious, and then what do we do? We forget God. Man, I'm glad, I, I'm glad you and I got that done, God. Or we're real successful at it. We say, God, you want to come along with me? You know, you, you, can, you can join in on this if you want to. I'd like to have you, you know, if you can work with this, well, we'll get right in there. But then, verse 19, and he says, if you will, Moses says, I promise you, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death. So he went through all of this and he said, before you are two choices, life and death. I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, he has to tell us what to choose. He says what? Choose life. Now, how dumb is that, PJ? That I've been pretty self-explanatory, right? Why does he do that? Because he knows what we're going to do. We're going to choose dumb. We're going to be people who choose death. And then he says that both you and your descendants may live. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure in America we're living now. We're, you know, and, and we can all kind of feel it slipping, but it's going to slip further and further. And without getting into a lot of that, I'm just saying to you, once we become blessed, he told Abraham he was going to bless him for what reason? To bless others, right? To bless the nations. And what have we done? We blessed me, haven't we? We took all the blessings and we used them. And he says that you and your descendants may live. I'm, I'm not near as concerned, if you will, about us in here tonight. I'm more concerned about what's happening as far as life in the other sanctuary. Because we've done a terrible job of getting them ready to take over. And verse 20 says that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him. Now, this is Moses speaking. Moses speaking to this multitude, millions of, you know, a couple million at least at that point. And it sounds almost to me like Pastor Joe speaking to me. Look at that again. That you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days and that you may dwell in the land. And so many times we put in the effort to, to get the land, but we don't dwell there. Dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. So the, who, who has the decision? You and I have it, don't we? We make that decision. It was kind of interesting to me as I was looking through this, this, this set of 30 or 31 chapters is quoted 80 times in the New Testament. More than any other book, as far as I could tell. I, you know, I, I'm far from a Bible scholar, but it, it's quoted 80 times in the New Testament. And as you think about that, I'd like to go to uh, Deuteronomy 18.15. 18.15. Moses speaking again. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from your midst, from your brethren, him you shall hear. Who's that have reference to? Has reference to Jesus, a prophet like me. You remember when you you go back into uh, John and he talks about 
the fact that he is that prophet like Moses. And who is he speaking to? To the Pharisees who knew all this word back here. And they knew it in their head, but it never got down here in their heart. God help us. Let's go, to, let's go back into the New Testament, John 5. St. John 5. 5.46. Well, I'll find it here in a minute, maybe. 5.46. And we're in a discussion with God's people, right? He's Jesus, it's in red. It's, it's, it's him that's talking it, and he's having a little difficulty with the church. <laughs> and, and the church has it all figured out. They know exactly what's supposed to be happening here. And, and I just want to go to the last of it. If you haven't read this lately, you might want to. But he's talking about the fact that, that you know, here you are, and, and you're saying that Moses said, do this. And you, in verse 45, Moses in whom you trust. Verse 46, but I, but if you believe Moses, you would believe me. Because Moses wrote about who? About me. But if you do not believe the writing his writings, how will you believe my words? And those church people were all excited, weren't they? Yeah. Let's go back to Deuteronomy. Jesus again, Deuteronomy 8. See if you've ever heard these words before. 8.3, actually. We're there. So he humbled you, allowed, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that, that he might make you know the man, that man shall not live by bread alone. You ever heard that before? When did Jesus use that? Temptation time, didn't he? And he went to that very scripture. And let's go back to chapter 6, 16. You there? You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Where did he use that? Temptation, didn't he? How about 13? You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall... Take oaths in his name. Remember, he said that God's the one we're going to serve. Let's go one more place, 1020. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. So he used time and time again this old this book, Deuteronomy. And so God started, was starting to open to me how important it was for us to uh, to see that to God, um, all of it, every word is important. I'd like to point out a couple more things before I, I close that, that, that God has shared with me. Let's go to Deuteronomy 119. And I, I don't want to assume you can't read, but let's read that. Let's look together. So he departed from Horeb and went. Th- so we departed from Horeb and went through all the great and terrible wilderness that you saw on the way to the mountains of the Amorites as the Lord our God had commanded us. Then we came to Kadesh Barnea. And I said to you, you have come to the mountains of the Amorites. Verse 21, look, the Lord your God has set in the land before you. Go up and possess it as the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you. This is Moses speaking to the children when? Forty years ago. Okay? Really about 38 years ago. And and he said, told him that we were going into the promised land. He says, do not fear or be discouraged. Now, keep your finger there just a moment, and let's look back at Numbers 13. Okay, that's right in front of that, 13, 1 and 2. And it always kind of amazed me that 
in, in Numbers, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Who told Moses to send the men? God did, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Why did he do that? Well, let's, let's go back to Deuteronomy again. Verse 20, verse one, chapter 1, verse 22. Here's God saying to, to Moses, And every one of you came near to me and you said what? Hey, before we go in there, I want to go in and see how big those guys are. So the people said, Let us send men before us and let them search out the land for us and bring back word to us of the way by which we should go up and the cities in which we shall come. And the plan pleased me well, so I took 12 of your men, one man from each tribe. Whose idea was it to go in? The people, right? God says, you guys go in. And back there, it looked like God had sent them in. But God sent them in. Why? Because they were crying. You ever ever wonder when God answer some of our prayers because of our whining? Yeah. God help us. Because <laughs> usually when I'm whining, it's not a very godly thing. And it says, they departed and they went in. And Verse 26, nevertheless, you would not go up. They went in. They, well, let's go back to 24. They, they took some of the fruit of the land in their hands. They brought it down to me. <coughs> and they brought back word to us saying, it's a great land. The Lord our God, that the Lord our God is giving us. <coughs> so they went in, they saw what he had, and it was great. Except, they said, nevertheless, nevertheless, you'd not go, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord. And you complained in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us, he brought us here and he's going to send us in against those giants. <coughs> you ever had any difficulties and complained to the Lord and said, don't you even care, Lord? You must hate me. And... And, and that's exactly what they did. And what did God do? Well, I told them they wasn't going in. As a matter of fact, they were going to go out and they were going to go around in this desert that they enjoyed so much where there was no water and no food for 40 years. That's what he told them. And they said, what? Hey, let's go up and do it. We can go do it. Change your mind, right? And God says, you can go, but I'm not going. Bad choice. <laughs> if God doesn't go, we better not go. Let's go to chapter 4, Deuteronomy 4. Moses still speaking. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments that I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land. There's one of those which the Lord, your, which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it that which you may keep in the in commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. And that, there's another one of those quotes that we see in the uh, New Testament. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did. And, and basically that's, that's the area where those, there were some of them that looked at God and, and what he was offered, look, offering, looked at Baal and what he was offering. They said, what? Hey, let's go with Baal. You remember what God did? After it was all over, you can go back and look at it, but after it was all over, he sorted out those people who went for, for Baal and he had their buddies chop them to pieces. <laughs> nice, gruesome. But when they got all done, how many of those Baal worshippers were left? Not a one. And these these weren't the natives in the land. These were what? These were us. The changed, and we became Baal worshippers. God help us. Have you ever felt hacked on? Check on it. See what you're doing. Verse four. 
But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today. How many of you? Every one of you. Sounds to me like Pastor Joe. Hang on. Hang on to the Lord. Hold fast. And surely I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding. How many, how many times have we heard that? If you want wisdom, it's where? It's right here, right? Verse 7, for what great nation is there that has God so near to them? Can't you say amen? We have him so near to us. For whatever reason, we can call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all the law which I set before you today? We're not just talking about Israel. Before they went through the promised land, we're talking about what? Jesus, what he's provided for who? For me. That's what we're talking about. Verse 9, only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and to your grandchildren. How many really appreciate your grandchildren? Some of you are going to appreciate them more. How many have ever felt such a responsibility to not be the one who can open the lid and put some God in there? I mean, it's, it's tough sometimes. It's bad enough when they're their kids, right? But when they're not, God help us. Verse 23, take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made for you and, and made for yourselves or made for yourself a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. That can be anything, guys. That can be a softball bat. It can be a fly rod. You know, we're not just talking about some guru's statue we're talking about something that we put before god right and it can be anything and if god speaks to you about hey you're doing this ahead of me oh take heed for your for the lord your god is a consuming fire and a jealous god i've had people cry about oh we've been through and all the difficulties we had and i'll say (laughs) and i'd like to say what what's that you're holding in your hand you know it's, it's, a, it's an image that's more important to you than God is. God help us. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God to provoke him to anger. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this day to your remembrance. I'm going to call heaven and earth to witness against you that day. A lot of stuff were passed in verse 29. But from... Here you, well, yeah, let's just do it. But from here, after all that's happened, after you've made your choice, after you've gone after the fly rod or whatever it is, image you have, after you've done all that, (laughs) after you've chose death rather than life, but from there you will seek the Lord your God. How many have done that? You messed up and the first thing you do is what? God, I'm sorry, I'm going to seek you with all my heart. Been there? That's what he says we're going to do. And you'll find him. Now, that's the amazing thing to me. You mess up so bad, you seek him, and what happens? 
How, how many have had somebody do something against you <laughs> and they ask forgiveness <laughs> and you don't show up? Well, if they just listened to him to begin with, it would have been all right. You'll find, he said, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and all your soul. I want to tell you, following laws and statutes, not about mentally following them. It's about what? It's about following them down here. <laughs> Without giving away too much, that, this guy told me that this was a too hard a work. I can't imagine working this hard. The same fellow said, Daryl, everything it said on that video and everything you're telling me, I do. But you don't know what she's like. Don't you just love it? I mean, you just felt really drawn close together when that was happening. Okay. So, verse 30. When you're in distress and all these things come upon you in the latter days, and when you turn to the Lord your God and obey His voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, He will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which He swore to them. Can you imagine all we've done against him? He's not going to forget the words that he gave us. Thank you, Lord. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 1. Now, this is a commandment, and these are the statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land, if you will, that you do them. He's, he's not saying when he says observe there, that's not a word that I'm going to look on him and say, oh, okay. It says we're going to do them. In the land. Then he says, which, which you're crossing over to possess, verse 2, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and the, and the commandments. So, if you will, it's gone beyond, the statutes gone beyond the head, they're aware now, in his heart. And that brings a fear that I won't follow that through. Okay? And then he says, that. Well, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all the statutes and the commandments which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Some people won't have all their days. Is that what I read there? Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. As I've heard Bruce say so many times, you plant a seed and God promises how many fold? 30? 60? Or 100? And he never says it'll be a failure. Never. Now, those are pretty good odds. And what do we choose to do? <laughs> Turn our back on him. We're crazy. We're crazy. 610. Well, I, I, I guess. Let me go to five. I'm sorry. You shall love the Lord your God. And to me, here, here, here's the crux of it. With all your heart, you know, we're way beyond the head now. With all your soul and with all your strength. Now, I know a number of you were, went to the marriage retreat. And basically, that's what Pastor and Ruth told you to do, right? All your heart, all your soul. And if, you know, our relationship there is just like our relationship with God, isn't it? It's important for us. To follow that wholeheartedly. And, and you remember, well, I didn't read it. But I think it's in chapter 2 where he's talking about going in the land. He told them that all their dads and their granddads were all gone. 
that they were the ones that were chosen to go in except for one guy, and that was who? Caleb. And he said, because he followed me with all his heart. One guy out of that whole generation. Matter of fact, when they got the chance to go in, he said he wanted to go where? He wanted the mountain where he'd seen all those giants. Because God had promised the old boy what? You're a winner. You're going to win that thing. And that's what he wanted to do. Verse 7, you shall teach them diligently to your children. I think God wants us to tell our kids these things. You think you get that impression? About every three verses he tells us that, right? And our grandkids. And you should talk to them when you sit in the house and when you walk by the way and when you lay down, when you rise up. Now, I don't know about you, but that just about takes the whole day right there. You think about it. So what he's saying, we don't have any time that we can't do this. Right? All times, every place we live, we're to do that. And he tells them how to tell them to bind them as a sign on their hand. They should be frontlets between their eyes. And what did they do? They took some of those verses, <laughs> made a little pouch, put them between their eyes. What good did that do? That's how we do it, right? It was a rolling stop. I was really only going 45. You know, there ought to be a little grace. I know it says 40, but it was only 45. Aren't we amazing? Verse 10, so it shall be when your Lord when your Lord brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers to give them in the cities that he's going to give them beautiful cities which they did not build, houses full of all good things. How's that how, how's that affect some of you guys? You like that? You ever been blessed so much? that you felt kind of ashamed because you knew that you didn't deserve it and you knew you didn't put in the effort, right? Some of, some of you guys can relate to what I'm saying. He said, you're going to have houses full of all good things. Now, I'm getting to the place that if the house is full, it's not a good thing. Do you understand what I mean? Houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells which you did not dig, Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant when you have eaten and are full. Been there? We're blessed, aren't we? And we know it. Verse 12. I got this one underlined, and then the next time he read it to me, I, I put it in blue, and the next time I put it in yellow, and I've got it in red, you know. Beware, verse 12, lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We get the house full and we say, who? Man, I'm something. Uh, man, it's amazing what I've done. Right? Who gives us the ability to gain wealth? <laughs> who gives us the ability to be blessed so we can bless others? Oh, we're something. We're something. So, I don't, I don't know where this has all left you. I want to go back to chapter 30. To finish up here tonight, I, to me, as um, I'm, I'm still in the midst of reading this this whole uh, book, and, and it's just uh, God is <laughs> He really has helped open it up to me. It's got a lot more color in it than it used to have in my Bible. I would get, like to go to verse 19. He says, "I will call heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing." Therefore, choose life. And I, every time I see that, I think, why did I have to be told to choose life when my two choices are life or death? 
Why do I have to be told that? And yet, if I'm not careful, what do I choose? Death, don't I? Isn't that that crazy? Michael, you can come on up. How crazy we are. God help us. God help us. That both you and your descendants may live. Now, I know some of you, and I know me, and I know I've made some choices that have worked against my descendants living. You been there? God has some restoring to do that, that I've messed up on. Verse 20, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, and that you may cling to Him. Men, when you mess up, and you ought to be moving in and asking forgiveness to your wife or to the Lord, what do you want to do? Rather than cling to Him, what do you want to do? We want to back away, right? God, that's terrible. We do just the opposite of what we need to do. Our nature is to do just the opposite of what we need to do, that you may obey his voice, that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers. And he keeps reminding them, this promise has been before you for generations, and you're the ones that get to go in and do it. And again, you know, personal example, I, I think of what we're doing to our children, how we're putting a debt against them, and I'm not sure there's any way they can get out from under. All the things that we're doing, and yet in the midst of that, as things turn bad, what's likely to happen? I pray what's going to happen is that they're going to cling to God during those times, right? Because when you and I sure messed it up, when we had all those things, what do we do? We just moved away from God, didn't we? And now, I think maybe what part of what God's taking from us is so that the next generation will cling to Him instead of cling to the stuff that we're going to leave them. Aren't they blessed? we got a house full of stuff for them. I've just had the opportunity again to move a house full of stuff. It's not a blessing, guys. It's not a blessing. Let's stand. God, speak to our hearts. Help us to see You, Lord God, to cling to You and the midst of difficulties. Father, I thank You for a pastor that keeps reminding us that the only answer we have is You. I thank You, Lord, for that. I just ask this night, Lord God, that You, Lord God, will move on the hearts, on our hearts, each one of us, Lord. Help us to see where we are. Help us to see what we're clinging to. And Father, You remind us time and time and time again that we're to go in and possess it. It's ours, but we have work to do. And most of that work, Lord God, is following You and clinging to You. Help us to be Your people. 